0: Hey, thank you for coming. I am excited to start 1 Timothy. This is a new sermon series, so if you have your Bibles, it's turned there. Also, we'll project it overhead. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. I've, in, I've entitled it, and I'm going to try to answer this question from Apostle Paul's teaching. What difference do different doctrines make? What difference do different doctrines make? Let's give our full attention to this already for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Father, God our Savior, excuse me, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, we begin 1 Timothy, which belongs to a trilogy of pastoral epistles or pastoral letters. Apostle Paul Issues two letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy, and he issues one more to another pastor by the name of Titus. And the main theme that runs throughout the pastoral epistles is this preach and guard the glorious gospel from fake and counterfeit gospels. The main running theme throughout the pastoral epistles, in particular, of course, this letter is. Pastors, please, for the sake of the church and for the glory of God, preach and protect, preach and guard the purity and the glory of the gospel from all counterfeit gospels. Because, because, only the gospel of Jesus Christ produces godliness in this life and into the next. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ produces godlike people in this life and into the next while false doctrines false assertions false teachers false religions just it's false produce ungodliness namely pride and destruction so i've got two questions as we begin 1st timothy two questions for this passage who gets to determine Right or sound doctrines? Who gets to do that? Who gets to determine your doctrines, our doctrines? Second, the title. What difference do different doctrines make? So the who and the what. Before we answer those two questions, I'm going to set up the context very quickly. This is to Timothy, who is to pastor a church at Ephesus. This church was founded by Priscilla and Aquila. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, personally planted that church. So he has a lot of investment. His heart is breaking over this church. He poured out his life three years, day and night. We read this in Acts chapter 19. And if you read Acts chapter 20, right toward the end, verses 29 and 30, after Paul had planted the church, gave his life day and night for three years, he ominously warned the leaders and the elders of that church, Ravenous, vicious wolves are going to come in. He's referring to false teachers who are going to have false doctrines. Please protect them. beware. So this church at Ephesus, Paul then places Timothy to pastor there. He charges him, you must stay here. You must stay here. And in verse 3, he gives the charge. And then this is the same church, <coughs> excuse me, in Revelation where Apostle John, <coughs> excuse me, sees a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus has things to say for seven churches, and this happens to be actually one of them. But let's answer the first two questions, the two questions I mentioned. Who gets to determine doctrines? Well, Paul commissions a young man. Commentators will say about 33, 34. I mean, in our day and age, we all say, hey, the 50s is the new 40s, the 30s is the new 20s. Well, yeah, exactly. Timothy felt like he was in his 20s. He was very insecure. He was an anxious type. He was a scared type. You'll find this out in the letter. He was also a sickly type, physically weak. Paul actually tells him, you got to drink some stuff, good stuff for all your stomach ailments. Timothy felt his youth. He felt he was in over his head. But his mentor and disciple, Apostle Paul charges him clearly in verse three, charge certain persons. Paul knows who they are. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, doctrine is just a set of teachings. Doctrine is just a set of things that you learn. And you're going to read the word teaching or doctrine scattered and littered throughout these letters because people who are teaching different doctrine is of utmost and main concern. But why then does Apostle Paul get to be the one who claims that everything I teach, if you learn doctrine from me, that is sound. Now, sound is translated from healthy and life-giving. All the doctrines that Paul gives, he himself claims is true, and it's according to the glorious gospel of God. Now, why does he get away with claiming something like that? Who is he? I mean, who made him king? Why does Paul get to say every doctrine that I give you is sound and according to the gospel and true? But I'm going to call out and critique all of the gospels as corrupt and fake and destructive and false. Who says he's right? Who gets to determine doctrines? So here in First Timothy, we have one of the most unusual greetings that Apostle Paul ever gave. If you get used to someone who wrote you letters, you know their style, you know how they begin, you know how they use certain turns of words or expressions, and maybe how they conclude. Well, if you get used to Apostle Paul's letters, this is unusual. This is unusual. Because right from the start, this is the only letter in which he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. That part's normal. But then he says, by command. By command. Command of who? God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins this letter answering the natural objection of his audience. Who? Who are you? Who gets to say you're right? Why do you get to go around and say these things are false? Paul... Addresses that and cites his own credentials. And here's what he says He says, I became an apostle by divine command. I have been dispatched by God the Father and Jesus the Son. Paul dares to claim, I am carrying nothing less than divine authority in what I teach, what I say, and what I write. Paul, an apostle by divine command. Now you see, his other letters is usually flowery. It's filled with thanksgivings. It's filled with all kinds of praise to God. Here, he just skips it. He just goes directly to divine command. There's only one other letter in which Paul skips the thanksgivings. It's to the Galatian church. The letter to the Galatian church. Because in the Galatian church, they have outright abandoned and deserted the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here in 1 Timothy... They are on the verge of collapsing or abandoning, abandoning the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's no thanksgivings here. Paul just goes right to, "I am an apostle, and the reason why you need to listen or pay attention and give all serious due concern to my doctrines is because it's not from myself. It's from God. It's from God. You know in Acts chapter one, verses 21 and 22, some of the qualifications for any person to be deemed an apostle was, well, you had to have been part of the band of disciples with Jesus from the very start. You have to be physically called and present with Jesus from the start. And another criteria for you to qualify as, as, as an apostle is you have to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you know any of the scriptures, you know the background of Saul who became apostle Paul, you're going to object again and say, ah, I have you. Saul was never part of the original band of disciples from the beginning. You're right. Paul was added as an apostle later on because he directly was called and converted and appointed to be an apostle by the risen Christ, and he received total and visible approval of all the other apostles in his day. So in this sense, in this sense, there is no other possible apostle who could exist like Paul. There's no other apostle who could qualify like Paul because he was issued by divine command to go forth directly commissioned by God Himself and carry and speak with the very authority of the one He represents. This is much deeper, it's much stronger than a lawyer. Lawyers can represent you in court of law. Lawyers should speak for you. Lawyers tell you, please keep your mouth shut. I'll argue this case for you. I know the law. When Apostle Paul says he's an apostle, he's more than a lawyer for God. He is a direct representative carrying the very authority of the one he represents. You got to understand this in kind of ancient times. And there's reports of like Genghis Khan, that crazy man who was conquering the world with breathtaking speed. And the way in which he would go conquer these completely foreign territories, he would send out his representatives, his messengers, his emissaries. And there are reports that into these foreign new lands, some of his direct representatives would get tortured or they'd be start to be burnt at the stake. And the reports of some of these representatives of Genghis Khan would be they would be screaming at the people who were torturing and killing them. And he'd be warning of how horrible it is going to be for them when the Khan arrives. When the Khan arrives. I mean in a similar fashion, Apostle Paul is saying how you respond to him is akin to how you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. How you treat his doctrine, how you treat his teaching, how you receive his word is directly equal to how you treat and respond to the very words of God. This is who, this is who gets to determine doctrines. You know, many people can be good at speaking. (coughs) They really can. You can master it. You can learn it. You go on TED Talks. You take coaching classes. You learn how to be charming. You learn how to be funny. You learn how to get people's attention. You can speak with a lot of confidence. You can have even depth. You can have a lot of detail. You can even be dogmatic. But here's what Apostle Paul says about these teachers. They could be confident and charming and dogmatic, but they have no idea what they're talking about. There is so much fluff today. There are so many sports and political news radio shows where you can waste a whole hour and you try to think back what was what was what was said that was substantial. It's like one or two things. And this is what the teachers who were actually known as elders at the church at Ephesus were doing. They were going on and on and on about interesting details. I would I would conjecture that they were very entertaining. They had to have been. <clears throat> they were very engaging. They were the type that when they talk, when you when you hear them talk, you just want to listen. They had that gift. And so they talk about genealogies. They talk about fresh new insights. They talk about some details or something that they discovered themselves. And on and on and on and on and on it would go. But Apostle Paul says this. Here's what he says about them. It's not so much that they might outright be saying something so false or wrong. But in this case, they're saying all kinds of things that are distracting These are irrelevant and irreverent doctrines. I mean, this is why this book is even bookended with, first, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. But then at the end, Paul comes back to it, again, the theme. O Timothy, guard the deposit. Chapter 6, verse 20. Entrusted to you, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Doctrines matter. Doctrines are important. Paul says I get to set them. But doctrines matter, that does not mean doctrines matter all the time. That does not mean every kind of doctrine matters. There's an irreverent, trivial, useless, unnecessary, wasteful kind. In a bestseller book entitled The Bible Code, an Israeli mathematician by the name of Dr. Elijah who rips, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Elijah who rips, Claimed that he decoded the Bible with a computer formula. Unlocking 3,000 year old prophecies of events such as the Kennedy assassination. The election of Bill Clinton. Quote, everything from the Holocaust to Hiroshima. From the moon landing to the collision of a comet with Jupiter. A bestseller book. The Bible Code. Oh, it talks about the Bible. But again... Not every argument or discussion or study of the Bible matters. There are very, very trivial, uh, irreverent kinds. And so what Paul is saying here from the start is you don't have to outright deny the gospel. You don't have to go directly against Jesus was God and Savior and he had to die as a substitute for sinners. You don't have to deny it. All you have to do is replace it. That's why this is such a strong warning. Paul is saying there are certain teachers and elders at Ephesus that are way too distracting. Distracting. Any church and every church, every Sunday throughout the history of the ages, when we meet and gather together, our culture... Will force us to make something central churches can make children's program central God bless them utterly valuable important of course some churches can make Bible knowledge or trivia like Bible jeopardy let's have a lot of Bible contests let's make sure our church has a lot of knowledge of the Bible important but it could become central Some churches can make a social cause central. Some churches can make your happiness and having a better marriage central. Some churches can make how you become a better successful person, confident, feel good about yourselves central. And I'm telling you, my friends, according to the Apostle Paul by divine command, every good diversion or even distraction... Every trivial, irreverent thing that you can wrap your life around, even though it might be good and entertaining for a while, cannot save you. It will not save you. If you've ever wondered an answer to the question, what would a city or a whole town look like if the devil himself took it over? Half a century ago, a Presbyterian minister by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse offered his own scenario that if Satan took over Philadelphia, all the bars would be closed, pornography banished, pristine streets filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing and the children would say, Yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And every church would be full every Sunday. If Satan were to take over a city like Philadelphia, every church would be full every Sunday, just as long as Christ is not preached. Just as long as there's no Savior to be found. Just as long as God cannot be felt. Apostle Paul, by divine command, his heart is breaking for the church at Ephesus. Please do not wander into vain and silly and stupid discussions and arguments, but preach and guard and pay attention to what is of utmost importance for the glory of God? Some of you might be thinking today, you know, held I long, long, long ago, I tried to leave this doctrine type of church. I tried to leave this rigid, traditional confession reciting, Bible reading. Like even your video bumper looked kind of too traditional. I'm a little turned off. I'm not into doctrines because doctrines are rigid. They're oppressive. They're old. I'm just not into doctrines. Can I just tell you, my friend? I suggest to you. Well, you are certainly into your own. You see, your doctrine is that older doctrines aren't important. They're outdated. Your doctrine is that other doctrines don't matter. Just yours. Everyone has doctrines. It's a set of teachings. It's your prevailing view of reality. It's what you believe in. Best matches the future. And here, Apostle Paul says, by divine command, by divine command, he claims that he gets to say and differentiate, hear sound, life-giving, healthy doctrines according to the gospel that can actually save, and then are irrelevant, unnecessary, false, and corrupted, and twisted doctrines that will only lead to self-destruction. So we get to the second question. <laughs> what difference do different doctrines make? Oh, what difference do different doctrines make? Viktor Frankl, who went through the concentration camps during the Holocaust, became a famous Jewish uh, professor of, of psychiatry and neurology. He wrote a bestseller, another best-selling book entitled *Man's Search for Meaning*. His thesis is that men can go through any how as long as they have a great why. Men can usually survive anything, how, anyhow, as long as you have a meaningful why. Well, you know, in the book, here's what he observed. Quote, I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Auschwitz, Treblinka, and Meidenich were ultimately prepared, not in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desks and in the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. What's the real origin of the Holocaust and the concentration camps? Not some comic book-looking, horrific, mad scientist, crazy people, drug-induced, lost their minds, like praying to Satan. That's where it came from. No, it came from universities. It came from nice, clean, respected teachers and scientists and philosophers with their students who believed in nihilism. Doctrines really matter. I mean, they really do. They can bless you or curse you. They can heal you or hurt you. They can lead to everlasting life or death. They really do matter. You take any child. You take any child. And if that child never really gets to believe, believe or feel that they are loved unconditionally, not based on works or performance, that they are loved by mommy and daddy. You're going to tell me that's not going to matter? That's not going to make a difference? Apostle Paul says, there are certain people at this church who are teaching false doctrines that's going to lead them to shipwreck. He actually gives us two names at the end, Hymenaeus and Alexander at the end of this chapter. But it's a perfect picture, isn't it? You're just riding along, coasting, everything's good. You think this church is pretty good. But you go astray in doctrine, you're going to crash against the rocks. You're going to starve and die. And not only are these false teachers shipwreck their own faith, they're going to take down many more people with them. Doctrines have the power to actually affect not only the life hereafter, but your present, present life. We just went through real-life relationship series, did we Not. I am so encouraged by the amount of feedback I got throughout. But one of the themes that we try to wrestle with in real-life relationships is why are real-life relationships so stinky? Why are they so hard? Well, a lot of it had to do with our set of doctrines. You see, our set of beliefs, or expectations about how relationships should be. And so if you're the type of person who thinks that someone else must perfectly befriend you, someone else must perfectly marry you, someone else must perfectly understand you, Someone else must perfectly read your mind. Someone else must perfectly serve you. Someone else must perfectly perfectly meet all of your needs. I assure you, with those set of doctrines, you're going to turn around to react negatively, angrily, bitterly, and hurtfully. Your doctrines in real-life relationships ruin relationships. And Apostle Paul here says this, with the false doctrines and the false teachers here at the church of Ephesus, this is all it's been producing. Controversies, strife, vain arguments, pride, divisiveness, and fights. Quote, chapter 6, verse 4, an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Quarrels about words. What difference do different doctrines make? The first, it makes a social difference. It really does. It makes a social difference. Are you the divisive, backbiting, angry, argumentative? Are you that kind? It comes from a doctrine. That doesn't come from nowhere. Whereas sound, life-giving gospel doctrines, verse 5, Paul says this, the aim, the aim, here's the grand result, is love. Love and unity above all. You know a church that stays healthy and grows and never splits is a church that has been soundly fed with gospel doctrines. And those doctrines make all the difference in the world. It's a social difference. False doctrines will lead to division, isolation. You will be antisocial. You cannot really be loving. But sound gospel doctrines will produce love above all. Here's a second difference. Let I me mean, close. It makes a religious difference. An enormous religious difference. What I would mean by this is that false teachings and doctrines tend to inflate humanity and diminish divinity false teachings you can tell it's from men because it's something you would think of you see that doctrine tells you you're so great and god is not that great you should be in charge god should not be in charge you know better than god run your own life you see you hear anything like that it's false because it's from you it's from us Where it makes too much of ourselves and too little of God. I like the New Living Translation of verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9. Here's what it reads in that translation. We know these laws. You know the laws, the commands, the prohibitions, all the exhortations. These are things that God tells you to do, not to do. We know these laws are good. They're good. When they're used as God intended. The way that God wants you to use them. So here's what false teachers do. Whereas the laws of God is is intended to serve as a mirror. A mirror. If it's a mirror, it's to expose and show me my own sin. False teachers will come along and take the same law and they'll take that mirror and they'll just invert it. They'll just turn it outward. False teachers will take the law of God to expose and condemn everyone else's sins, never their own. Truly godly people look at the law and know they're not godly. Ungodly people will look at the law and think they're godly and everyone else is ungodly. Next week, we're going to hear from Apostle Paul, his own story of grace, his own testimony. Here's what a Christian talks like. Here's what a Christian feels like. Here's what a Christian thinks of himself before the law of God. He says, I am the worst of all. Next week, I will argue. That is not an exaggeration. I am the absolute. You take every sinner and line them up. I would be the last. I'm at the bottom. I was the most pitiful. But God showed me even more grace, more patience. False teachers will take the law as a mirror upon everyone else. God intended the law to be like a tutor, a tutor, teacher, trainer. Training wheels on a bike. So you're learning a bike. Okay, that's the law. So it's it's supposed to tutor you. It's supposed to drive you. It's supposed to coach you. Toward what? Toward needing a savior in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what false teachers will do. They'll take the same law and they'll say, oh, you can keep it all and just save yourself. But it's filled with pretending and presumption. Oh, Paul comes around and says, oh, here's the religious difference. The aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge is love above all. With purity of heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Where does that come from? It will never come out of nowhere. It can only come from Jesus. Love, purity of heart, good conscience, and sincerity do not come out of nowhere. Good and evil both come from doctrines. They will only come from Jesus. And if you want to have it come from Jesus, you have to have sound doctrines about Jesus. Sound doctrines about Jesus get us face-to-face with Jesus. Listen, my friends, I know we live in a day and age where you say, you know, when it comes to religion... The less doctrines, the better. I just want to feel a lot of things. When it comes to my faith or spirituality, I want it mysterious in the sense of the less I know, I think the better it'll be. But let me quote someone by the name of Frank Sheed, who I think is spot on. A virtuous man may be ignorant, but ignorance is not a virtue. It would be a strange God who could be loved better by being known less. It would be a very strange God that you could love better the less you know. No. Let me tell you of someone so magnificent, and he's the only person that the more you know, you won't be let down. False doctrines, false teachers are going to tell you some version of this, some version of this. Do this, obey that. Know this, don't do that, prove yourself, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then God will bless you with a better life. He'll make you a better version of you. False teachers and false doctrines will tell you to do this, do this, do this, do this, and they'll drive you back into yourself. Do you know what gospel doctrines tell us? Do you know what the apostles and the prophets tell us? And you know what faithful messengers to this day who tell you the gospel would tell you? They tell you, he did this. He did this. He did this. He did that. He didn't do all this. He did all this. And what gospel doctrines tell you is that they drive you into the arms of Jesus. False doctrines will always drive you back into yourself Gospel doctrines will drive you into the arms of a savior, Jesus. And when you fall into the arms of Jesus. And you look up at his face. You're going to see a face of love. And you're just going to want to. You're going to want to become just like him. And he will. You now last week. Last week. Christ Central Network was able to host its second pastor's retreat. All the pastors are saying, The hospitality, the organization, the program is so perfect, Harold. Thank you so much. I say, Don't thank me. I didn't do Jack. That's Juwan and our staff putting on such a great, great retreat. But here's what took place over three days, two nights. We had to cap it at 30 people because we want to keep it somewhat personal and intimate. A lot of it was spent on small group time, relationship time, being very vulnerable, really honest. And here's what I found about myself and all the pastors around me. We are one weird group. We are one insecure bunch. We're one envious and self-pitying bunch. Some are very, very grossly underpaid and underappreciated. I'm not one of them. Thanks be to you. Some are addicted to things. All of us have been addicted to certain things. And then all of us are repenting of certain things. But why was I so refreshed by a pastor's retreat? In fact, I would say in the last couple years of all the conferences or retreats or Bible studies or things that I've gone to, this might have been one of the more refreshing ones where I palpably felt filled with the Holy Spirit. And we got a feedback from 100% of the pastors. The 100% of the pastors all agreed. Said there was something special. Something so relational. Something about fear and sh- failure and shame that I could never talk about outside of these circles. This was one of the great blessings that we've ever had. Why were we blessed that way? Well, among the three or four of the closest friends I have at that retreat, I literally could sense... That they had become more like Christ, even versus last year. They had become more humble. They had become more patient. They had become more broken. They reminded me more of Jesus. And that is the most beautiful difference that gospel doctrines will make in this life and into the next where you will love above all with the purity of heart good conscience and a sincere faith may god bless us Christ central to not only teach no other doctrine but to preach and guard and live out all the doctrines according to the glorious gospel of jesus christ let's pray father in heaven i thank you for this introduction And I pray that with your authority, along with your blessing and power and love, Lord Jesus, may you set all of our lives upon the gospel of Jesus. Help us to not only distinguish what true is from false, the authentic from counterfeit, but oh Lord Jesus in all of our social relationships, in all of how we do religion with you, would you come and set us free with the gospel for your glory, for the joy and the salvation of the world. Hear us, we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.